Hey, this is Greg Little from Bethany Baptist Church. I'm so thankful that you decided to join us on this podcast. I trust that the Lord will use it in your life to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you wherever you are in your walk with Him. For more information about Bethany, you can visit us online at bethanybc.ca. And now let's open our hearts and minds to what the Lord has for us. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We took a few weeks uh, off from this uh, study in Matthew and looked at a number of different things. I want to get back to it here this morning in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, we'll start in verse number 1 and we'll read down to verse uh, number 8 this morning. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse number 1, says this, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore, think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Now, I know I was thinking here this morning, this is pretty small. I don't know if everyone can see that. Does anyone know what that is here this morning? Anyone have any idea? What those are? Those are. That's good. They're post-it notes. These are uh, sticky notes, whatever you want to call them. Um, If you guessed that, then you are correct. But here, let me put a picture up. These little post-it notes. You can see those ones maybe a little better than this. These famous little notes are used, of course, all over the world. But did you know that they're actually an example of a failed invention? Um, 1974, a man by the name of Dr. Spencer Silver, an employee of 3M, was working on developing a strong adhesive. But... By accident, he invented this adhesive, this weak uh, adhesive, pressure sensitive. It was not what he wanted. It was not what he intended. It's not what he had originally designed, but that's what he created, the adhesive anyways. And initially, after he created that, he's trying to get the strong adhesive, and he ended up with that. And initially, after he created it, it seemed like that adhesive was a failure, It didn't meet the company's expectations for a super strong adhesive. And for several years, the adhesive that he created had no real clear purpose in it. And it was actually, they considered it a solution in search of a problem. They just, they had the solution, they just didn't know what the problem was yet. But in 1974, another 3M scientist by the name of Art Fry attended one of Silver's seminars, and he saw the potential for this weak adhesive. And uh, they say that Fry was constantly frustrated with the bookmarks falling out of his hymnal. They continued to fall out, and so he thought that maybe this adhesive could create a bookmark that would stick to the pages without actually damaging them. 
course, this idea led to the design and the uh, creation of the post-it note, this small, colorful piece of paper that has become an enormous success. It's known all over the world. And so what initially seemed like a failed attempt, what initially seemed like something that Dr. Silver didn't want, ended up becoming one of 3M's greatest inventions and most well-known. Maybe we could look at it this way. It wasn't what he wanted in the beginning, but what he actually ended up with was far greater than what he originally wanted. It exceeded his expectations and his desires. In our passage this morning, I think we find a similar account. We're going to kind of move back and forth between this passage and the one in Mark chapter 2, um, looking at it's this parallel account, but it's of this sick man, this man with palsy. Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying in a bed, a man that was a paralytic, meaning he was unable to move. Unable to walk. And possibly, the word is often used this way, both in uh, biblical Greek and extra-biblical Greek. The word was often used as someone who was unable to move at all. Any extremities. This man was in a very difficult and dire situation. Especially so, you think of in that day and age. There was no government helps. There was no welfare to care for him. I'm sure that he, in many ways, was a burden on his family and his friends. They desired to see him healed as much as he desired to be healed. And without the intervention of Jesus in his life, this man's life, if you think about it, was a sad, difficult life, unable to move, paralyzed, without much hope, not a whole lot to look forward to. Now, you might think, as this man did, and as his friends did, and as the scribes and Pharisees probably did, you might think that this man's greatest need was physical healing. More than anything else, if you were to ask this man who was sick of the palsy what he wanted, I'm sure he would say to you, I want to be healed. I want to walk. I want to be able to get up and, and move around like everybody else. I want, to, I want to work. I want to be able to provide for myself. I don't want to depend on anybody else, on, on my family and my friends. I, I just want to be able to move, to get up. I want physical healing. If you asked him what he wanted at his very heart of hearts, he would have said, I want to be healed. In fact, I think that's why he came to Jesus. He wanted healing. And I think we would all think that way. His most obvious need was that of healing. That's what he wanted. That's what he desired. But the truth is this, physical healing was not his greatest need. It's not what he needed most. Jesus knew that. And what this man ended up receiving, it was not what he originally wanted, but it was far greater than what he originally wanted, what he received from Jesus Christ. This man's greatest need was not physical healing, it was spiritual healing. What he actually needed was forgiveness, more than anything else. Think about this, if Jesus would have only done one thing for this man, 
if he only would have done one single thing, it would have been best to forgive him his sins and leave him paralyzed than to heal his body and leave him in his sins. See, what good would it have done this man to enter hell with a perfect body? It was far better to, for him to have his sins forgiven and enter into heaven as a paralytic than leave him in his sins to heal his physical affliction and leave the spiritual need unmet. Now, of course, we've read the story. You know that Jesus does both. He heals both his spiritual need and his physical need. But I want you to see this morning that the focus in this story is not on the physical. That's secondary. That's, that's not the primary purpose of this account and of this healing. The focus is on the forgiving. That's what's really important. That's the necessary part of this account. The healing was just done to show the fact that Jesus had the power to forgive sins. The forgiveness was the primary part of the story. What I want to do is just take a few minutes and work our way through this account and then maybe make some applications here at the end. Verse number one says, He entered into a ship, that's Jesus, and passed over and came into his own city. Now, I've got a map up there. I don't know if you can see that, that little red arrow or not. That is pointing to the Gergesenes right here, uh, Gadara. That's where Jesus just was. You remember Jesus got in his boat with the disciples. They crossed the Sea of the Galilee. There they were in the storm. They came to the other side. They came to Gadara over here. You can see it maybe on, on this spot as well. Uh, Gadara, they came over to that area. Jesus healed the men that were possessed by a demon. They get back in the boat, and they go back to the other side at the top there. You can see Capernaum. That's where they go back to. So they don't spend much time in Gadara. They're there for just a short little while. In fact, if you remember, the men of the city begged him to leave. They said, please depart out of our coast. And Jesus does. He gets back in the boat. They travel back across the sea to his, it says here, his own city. And just a side note that I had as I was kind of thinking about this is, I wonder if the disciples had any hesitations in getting back into the boat and crossing the sea again. <laughs> you remember what happened just the last time they were in the boat? There's that great storm, and Jesus calmed it. They thought that they were going to die. They were terrified for their lives. I wonder if maybe there was some hesitation there, thinking, I wonder if Jesus is going to teach us another lesson. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus is going to do something else. Or maybe, maybe they were so excited to get back in the boat again and say, I wonder what Jesus is going to do this time. It's just amazing how these men, these disciples, got to walk and talk with Jesus and see his miracles and see his teaching and his healing and, and just be a part of all of that. And so they get back in the boat and they come back into his own city, the city of uh, Capernaum. Mark tells us that it's Capernaum, the base of earthly, uh, Jesus' earthly ministry. And as he gets back over and comes back into his house, it, or where he was staying, Mark tells us that it was noised in all the city that Jesus was in the house. Word got around that Jesus is here. And all the people come to see him. 
They by now have heard of his miracles. They've heard of what he's been able to do. They've seen some of it with their eyes and they understand that Jesus is there. So all the, the crowds come together to the house. They all want to see him. They all want to hear him. And, and so much so, so that Mark says that there was no room to receive them in the house. There's no more room. It was totally packed. He says, no, not even as much as about the door. It was full inside and outside. Everybody was there. They were all squeezing in to get a look and to hear from Jesus. And the, the Bible tells us, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that he began to teach and to preach to them. They are there watching him. And he's preaching. And Matthew tells us that as he's preaching, well, Mark tells us he's preaching, but Matthew says as he's doing that, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed. I find it interesting that Matthew omits just a little part of the story. <laughs> which we read earlier in Mark, and you probably remember it anyways. These friends try to make their way to Jesus, and the house is packed. They're carrying this man on a stretcher, and they're unable to get in because there's so many people there. And, and you remember what they do? They're not able to get to Jesus, so they, they go up onto the roof. And they begin literally tearing the roof apart. To let this man down. I can just imagine in my mind that, that scene in the house. Can you, can you picture that? Jesus is preaching. And people are listening to him. No one's really saying anything. And all of a sudden some dirt starts falling in from the ceiling. And then there's some sunlight peeking through this roof. I can just imagine what the owner of this house is thinking. What's going on? This is my house. And then, and then the, the roof gets torn back and this man in his stretcher is layered, uh, lowered down right to Jesus. I mean, I, you may have lost a shingle or two on your roof in the last storm that came through, but can you imagine having a massive hole dug in your roof? And now this man is being lowered down. And I'm sure that as that was happening, everyone just kind of stood there with bated breath, anxious to see what Jesus was going to do. And Jesus looks at this man, is paralytic, unable to move, unable to walk, in desperate need of healing. It's obvious why he is there. In such a poor, difficult state, in desperate need of his help and his healing. And he looks at that man and says, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. <laughs> I wonder what really went through that man's mind when Jesus said that. <laughs> Thy sins be forgiven thee. Be of good cheer. Take heart. Rejoice. Thy sins are forgiven thee. I wonder if he thought something like this. Um, thanks, I think. That's not really what I'm here for, though. That's not really what I wanted. Kind of like we just had Christmas a couple weeks ago. Maybe someone gave you a gift. And you open it up and you were like, um, thank you, I think. I'm not really sure what it is or 
what the purpose of it is. It's not really what I expected. It's not really what you what I wanted. <laughs> or maybe he knew the significance and the power of having his sins forgiven. <laughs> maybe he understood and he felt and he experienced such freedom and power in his life at that moment that he had never experienced before. Notice there that Jesus doesn't say, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins will be forgiven you in the future tense. Which would really only amount to an expectation of hope for this man. Looking ahead to God's future forgiveness. That one day maybe my sins will be forgiven. Nor did Jesus say this, your sins have been forgiven you separating the forgiveness from this very encounter. It's very important to realize, vital here, to see that Jesus says, Son, thy sins be, your sins are forgiven you. In other words, I am forgiving your sins right now. Jesus was boldly proclaiming his word as the means of forgiveness. You know what Jesus was doing here? He was claiming to be God. This was a full display of his deity. Your sins are forgiven. Only God had that kind of power. Jesus' compassion, his authority, his uh, power, his deity is on full display in that one sentence. Not that your sins will be forgiven, not that they have been forgiven, but right now I am forgiving your sins. This was the man's greatest need, and Jesus meets it. Yes, he needed physical healing, and Jesus would get to that in a minute. But above all, he needed spiritual healing. He needed the forgiveness of Jesus in his life. And friends, can I say to you this morning, that is your greatest need as well? That was my greatest need. There are all sorts of things that we think we need, but there is nothing that we need more than the forgiveness of God in our life. Someone said it this way. He said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. Friends, you can have all that the world has to offer. You can have health and money and fame and possessions and friends. You can have all of those things. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you don't have forgiveness, you're missing the one thing that you truly need above everything else. The grandson of Billy Graham, many of you know Billy Graham, his grandson, Tulian uh, Tavidjian, said this. He said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's a good math equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Listen, our hearts are searching for something. We're looking for fulfillment somewhere in this life, and it's not in physical healing. It's not in personal substance or means. It's not in family. It's not in friends. What we're looking for and what we need above all is the forgiveness of God. And Jesus 
offers it freely. Jesus said to this man, be of good cheer. Take heart. Rejoice in this. In what? That your sins are forgiven you. Jesus offers hope and restoration and fulfillment all through the forgiveness of our sins. And friends, that's what we desperately need more than anything else. And the truth is this. The paralytic man needed it. His friends needed it. The scribes and Pharisees needed it. The disciples needed it. Everybody needed this forgiveness. Every person in every place has a great need of a Savior. And friends, praise the Lord, we have it this morning in Jesus Christ. Now the truth is this, the the Pharisees, the scribes, should have rejoiced in this. They should have been amazed at God's power, at Jesus' willingness to forgive sins. But they weren't. And they begin to, to speak within themselves. The Bible says maybe, maybe they're kind of speaking among each other. Maybe they're just speaking in their own minds. And they begin to think and they begin to reason in their hearts. They say, hey, this man just claimed to forgive sins. Only God has the power to forgive sins. And so they say within themselves, this is blasphemy. You see that in verse 3? Behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. He's claiming to forgive sins, but only God can do that. And therefore, this man must be claiming to be God. See, they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. They knew that he was claiming to be God. And I love what it says here in verse 4. Listen to this. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? They didn't even have to say it out loud. Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. Jesus knew their minds. He knew their hearts. Jesus knows the very heart of man. Hebrews 4.13 says this, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The thought there is this, God sees everything. God knows the very heart of man. He knows your thoughts. He knows your mind. He knows your questions. He knows the desires of your heart. God sees it and God knows it. And Jesus answered out loud a question that they were thinking in their minds. And he answers them this way in verse 5. For whether is it easier to say, what's easier? Thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise and walk? Well, that's a bit of a Trick question, I think. Theologically, we might say, well, it's easier to say get up and walk because only God can forgive sins. Nobody else has that power. But practically, it would have been easier, at least in the eyes of the Pharisees probably and the scribes, practically it would have been easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. Why? Because anybody could say that. And you wouldn't really know if it actually happened or not. Anybody could go to somebody else and say, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And you'd have no idea whether they actually were or not. I mean, it'd be pretty obvious if God healed him. It'd be a lot less obvious if God just forgave his sins. But Jesus says, which one's easier? 
And he says, so that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. So you know that I have power. By the way, that's a phrase that you'll see often throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament, that ye may know. John uses it quite often. These things have I written unto you that ye may know. That ye may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He says that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then he saith to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thy house. Jesus said, I'm going to prove to you and to everybody watching, I'm going to prove that I have the power to forgive sins. I'm going to show you that I have the authority to grant pardon and forgiveness. And he does so by healing this man's disease. Sometimes we read that and kind of skip over it because we know that Jesus heals. But just think about this for a minute. This man had never been able to walk, totally paralyzed. Jesus says to him, get up. Take up your bed and go home. And this man who had never walked before gets up, he takes up his bed, and he goes home. Amazing. A couple thoughts here, and then I'll make some applications. I was just thinking this. Jesus' miracles were never an end in and of themselves. All of his miracles throughout the gospel accounts all pointed to one fact. That was that he was God. He did this miracle not just to heal this man, but to show to everybody watching that he had the power to forgive sins. That he was God himself. They displayed his deity. John says it over and over again that ye may know but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. He says all of these things were done that you might understand, that you might believe that Jesus is God, and in believing in him, you might have life through his name. I was thinking this as well. When Jesus heals, he does so immediately and completely. Jesus says, arise and the man stood up and walked home on his own power. Maybe he kind of got up like, remember Bambi in that movie when he's kind of skating on the ice? <laughs> and knees just shaking. I don't know what that would have been like. His muscles would have deteriorated after years and years of non-use. But Jesus healed him completely and fully. He got up and he walked home. Insomuch, Mark says that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. We never saw it like this before. Jesus, by the power of his word, immediately and completely heals this man, and the people praise God, and they say, we've never seen anything like this before. This is amazing. I love how over and over through the gospel accounts, the disciples, the crowds, the people are constantly amazed with who Jesus is. 
Remember just after Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples said, what manner of man is this? <laughs> Who is this man? <laughs> they, after his Sermon on the Mount, the people were amazed by his teaching and his authority. They said, we've never heard anything like this before. They see Jesus heal a paralytic man and they say, I've never seen anything like this before. And it's like throughout all the gospel accounts over and over and over again, their minds are just blown by, by who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. I was thinking of it kind of like this way. It's, it's kind of like Christmas at our house. We, uh, in our family anyways, we try to do one big gift for each of the kids and then a few smaller things and then we do some stocking stuffers as well. And um, we start with the small things and we work our way up and at the very end we give them whatever their big gift is for the, for the year. And uh, we enjoy, I know a lot of people do that as well. But uh, I think I have more fun watching them open the gifts than anything else over Christmas. That's my favorite, my favorite part. And... They start with some of those little things, and they, they love them. <laughs> and they say, man, this is amazing. And I'm like, that's just a stocking stuffer. <laughs> you just wait till you see what you have coming. <laughs> and they open up something, and it's like, you just, I know what's coming, and I'm so excited for them to get it, and their mind's being blown over and over, like, this is so cool. And then they get the big gift, and it's like, you just wait <laughs> till you see what we got you this year. I wonder if Jesus ever kind of thought that way with the disciples and with the people. You think that's good? You just wait till you see what I have coming. I've got something even greater in store for you. And ultimately, it was the greatest miracle of giving us life and providing a way of salvation for each and every one of us. The miracle of new birth, of sin's forgiven of eternal life provided my thought is this are you still amazed by who Jesus is you still marvel and give God glory for what he's done in your life I've never seen anything like this before this is amazing don't ever become callous to the power and the working of God in your life and who Jesus is don't ever get over the goodness of God and the grace of God in your life. Jesus is amazing. <laughs> I want to make just a couple, just very quickly here, a few um, applications. I know we're almost done. I just want to make a couple because I think that maybe there's some people that get left out in this story sometimes as we read it through. And, and really the focus is on Jesus. I said that before, as we go through these gospel accounts, the focus is always on Jesus. He's, he's the main character, and uh, we're amazed by him as we read through this account. But I do want to just look very quickly at the friends of this paralytic man. Other than Jesus, I think this story is really about them. Much of this account is about their faith and their desire to get someone to Jesus. And I'm going to look at five things. And like I said, I'm going to do it very quickly here. But just five really quick things. First of all, do you realize that they were the only source of contact this man had with Jesus? If this paralytic man was going to be healed, if there was any hope for him at all, 
if he was ever going to see Jesus and receive both this physical healing and the spiritual healing that he so desperately needed, it would only be because these men brought him to him. They picked up his bed and they carried him. They persevered. They dug up the roof. They lowered him down. The only chance he ever had to meet Jesus was because of them and they brought him to him. They did whatever it took to introduce their friend to Jesus. You know, I was thinking that there are people that you meet day by day, that you work with, that you live with, that you see on a regular basis, that you interact with, that you rub shoulders with. And the truth is this, for many of them, you may be the only source of Jesus, the only source of contact with Jesus that they will ever meet in their life. You may be the only one. It is possible in our society, maybe even likely, that they won't hear about Jesus from anybody else. There's nobody else to introduce them to the Savior. We may be the only contact that they might ever have, and so we need to persevere. We need to uh, continue on. Don't give up. Do whatever it takes to bring these people our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, to Jesus. You know, I've been thinking in my own life, personally this year, what are some things that I can do? What are some things that I can do this year to introduce people to Christ? How can I bring them to him? How can I reach my community? They were the only source of contact with Jesus, but secondly, they needed to work together. They needed everybody to be on board. Everybody needed to take a corner of that bed. If one person let go, the whole thing would have fallen down. They needed all four of them to work together. Someone needed to dig. Someone needed to lower him down. But they all needed to be involved in bringing him to Jesus. Yes, God has gifted some people specifically in this way. Above and beyond maybe what is normal for the rest of us. God does gift certain people in this way. I understand that. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us are absolved from our responsibility. It's something we all ought to have a part in. We all need to work together. Every single person this morning needs to be involved in the work of bringing people to Jesus. They needed to work together. But I was thinking this as well. They needed to think outside the box. I'm sure, I'm sure their very first thought was not this. Hey, let's go down to that house where Jesus is, go up on the roof, rip it up, and lower the man down. I'm sure their very first thought was, let's try to find our way in. Let, let's just try to do what we can to get him to Jesus. And as they got there and they saw the crowds and the people pressing in, they said, you know what, we're going to have to think a little differently here. How are we going to get this man to Jesus? Maybe we'll, we'll have to try something different. They went up and they ripped up the roof. I think we'll talk about this maybe a little bit in our discussion time in a bit, but maybe maybe there are some ways that we can think outside the box. Maybe there are some creative ways that we can introduce people to Jesus and be able to have an opportunity to speak to them, that we can reach our community and our friends and our neighbors with the life-changing gospel of Christ. It is worth it. They need to hear it. We need to find ways that we can do that. 
Fourthly, notice this, they actually lived out their faith. I love this in verse number two. It says, And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus seeing, what's the next word? Whose faith? It says, their faith. Jesus seeing their faith, not the faith of the paralytic man. He's talking about the faith of the friends. Jesus, and maybe that include the paralytic man as well, but Jesus saw their faith. Jesus responded to their faith as they trusted. They believed that Jesus could actually do something about this man's need. They believed that he could heal them, so they had faith and they acted on it and they brought him to Jesus. And listen, their faith affected everybody around them. Their faith affected the paralytic man. Their faith affected the scribes and Pharisees. Their faith affected the disciples and the crowd that had come to watch. Their faith affected everybody around them. And they truly lived what they believed. If they truly believed that Jesus could heal, if he really is the only answer, then we'll do whatever we can to get this man to Christ. We talked about that last week, how Jesus responds to faith. Friends, we need to live out our faith. If we believe that it is true, if we believe that Jesus saves, if we believe that he has the power, then we ought to share that with everyone we can. Our faith affects not just us, but all those around us. And then let me just say, finally here this morning, that they needed Jesus. Above everything else, they needed him. They knew that they were helpless and they were hopeless on their own. They needed something outside of themselves. They needed Jesus. And the truth this morning as we finish is this. We all need Jesus. We all need him every moment of every day. Moment by moment, we need him. These friends decided that they would do whatever it took to get this man to, to Jesus. What, what are we doing to bring people to Jesus? Do we need him in the same way? Are we acting out on our faith if that's truly what we believe? Thank you for listening to this podcast. My prayer is that God would use the preaching of his word in your life in a special way. If there's any way that we can be a help to you, please feel free to reach out at bibcinfo at gmail.com or if you're in the area you're always welcome to come join us in worshiping the lord together every sunday morning at 10 o'clock and wednesday at 6 30 may the lord bless you today